You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Well, good evening, Plus Life. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 for tonight's sermon. How's everyone doing tonight? Awesome, awesome. Well, praise God that we're able to continue to meet, right, uh, in person. That's only by God's grace. And, uh, you know, it's our prayer that things will only get better on from here on out. And, you know, with the the vaccine rollout and uh, slowly things are returning back to normal, it's a testament of God's grace working through um, our our prayers, right? You know, it's it's a hard time for the church right now. And so with that being said, I'm really hoping that you guys will be taking some time because we have, we're able to meet together in small groups. You're going to take some time tomorrow and celebrate Father's Day. I hope so. Happy Father's Day to all our fathers out there. Let's give a round of applause again to our fathers. Thank you, fathers, for doing all that you do, right? Leading your households and instructing your children in the ways of the Lord. You play a vital role role in the spiritual development of your household. And so we are, we are so grateful for you fathers. And we also want to take some time to acknowledge the spiritual fathers out there. Thank you for all that you do. You play an, instrument, uh, an instrumental role as well, right? Developing disciples. And so we thank you for that. And so we pray for our fathers, right? That God would sustain you and give, continue to give you grace so that you can both disciple and discipline his children for his glory. Now, I'm, uh, I also want to acknowledge, you know, the fathers that, that want to be fathers, like the fathers that are not fathers yet. Um, and so I am personally with you in that aspect. You know, I, Mira and I, we both have a desire one day to have children. And so I want you to know that those desires for you to have children are godly. They come from a godly place. So I want to take some time and acknowledge you as well and continue to seek God's face, continue to seek his face in prayer. And in due time, right, he will, uh, he will um, bless you accordingly to your desires, but making sure ultimately that he has his will at the end of the day. Remember, our satisfaction as believers in Christ is in the Lord. It's not in his blessings, it's in the Lord. And so find satisfaction in that and continue and earnestly pray uh, for the desires of your heart. So tonight we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from our series. We're going to be hearing a... a standalone sermon tonight on the topic of fatherhood that has been dear and near to my heart for these past two couple years, uh, being uh, uh, because I have that personal struggle, of course. And so it's a topic that makes me reflect uh, on my own upbringing, on my own uh, relationship with my father growing up, and this might be the same case for some of you, right? My father and I, we were not very close. We rarely saw eye-to-eye on things. We didn't communicate that much. And most of what I did as a child was always met with some sort of discipline. And so reflecting on those experiences, I now see, I now come to this understanding that maybe I focused too much on, uh, you know, the, the frustrations that I had with my dad. And I overlooked the countless experiences of love that I, that I had with him. And so 
when it came to leading the family, when it came to making decisions for the family, when it came to leading family prayer in spiritual matters, and the fact that you know he had to leave everything behind to start his life here as an immigrant in, in North America, it wasn't easy, and he did that out of a love for his family. Not to say that his love was perfect, of course, all earthly fathers fall short in that aspect, but Certainly there are qualities that I wish that I could live up to one day uh, when I become a father, right? That I would embody those qualities. Now that being said, you know, in a world that is so influenced by the framework of intersectionality and political identities that give lived experience the final authority to what holds true, under that worldview, I technically wouldn't be able to contribute to this conversation, to this uh, topic. Because, of course, what could I know about fatherhood? Well, to the Christian, as a matter of fact, sure, lived experience is important. God grants us wisdom in listening to the experiences of, of those, and there, there comes wisdom in listening to that kind of experience. It's interesting because many of the things that I used to disagree with my dad at this point, I, I actually agree with him on, and it actually took experiencing those things myself to, to, figure the, to figure that out and finally understand. But the reality is, while experience is important, the Bible has the final authority to what holds true. Amen? The Bible is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so while lived experiences are important, what qualifies us as Christians to contribute to a topic is the Word of God. So Christians that want to stand up for lives in the womb, speak up. Christians who want to stand up for biblical justice, not social justice as the world defines it, but biblical justice for the human race, stand up, speak up. Christians that want to contribute to the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman, stand up, speak up. Just because you don't have a lived experience doesn't mean you can't speak on a particular topic. Because again, all scripture is what? Is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And so with that being said, there's a lot that the Bible says about what fathers should aspire to be. And it's my hope for us tonight as a church that we would learn the heart of God the Father through the parable of the prodigal son. So if you have your Bibles open with you, let's stand up for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be reading from verses 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired him, himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf to kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drawn near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked, what, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we can stand here and hold your very word, what you've preserved and what you've protected, so that we could understand who Jesus Christ is and who we are in him. Lord, as we look to your word tonight, would you give us ears to hear and minds to understand? And then, Lord, through the power and working of your Holy Spirit, would you give us hearts to passionately live these things out for your fame and for your glory? God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And then, Lord, for the one out there tonight who has not put their faith and trust in you, I pray that tonight be the night. Would you give them eyes to see who Jesus Christ is? And, Lord, as followers of you, I pray, God, would, would you give us a deep understanding of who you are, Father? Would you give us an understanding of your heart and how we're called to live as Christians? Lord, we... Submit this time into your hands. I pray that you would use me as your instrument of peace and that I would preach only grace and truth. We ask all these things knowing that you go before us and that you'll have your way. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So the title of my sermon tonight is The Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. So more, uh, more often than not, readers think that this parable is about professing Christians that backslide from their faith, right? They think that this younger son represents those of us who 
backslide from our faith. Well, let me tell you, that's far from the truth. That's not what this parable is about. The truth is, Jesus is actually talking about lost people here. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were upset that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And so Jesus spoke in these parables to address the, 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 and confront the hardness of their hearts when it came to lost sinners, right? They were so religious, they were so legalistic, and they needed to hear this lesson from him. So let's take a look at our passage tonight. Someone say jump. All right, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Now, it's important to understand, right, some of the culture and practices in Jesus' day. You see, fathers, they were highly esteemed. They were honored, right, unlike fathers in our society today, right? They're, they're depicted in our society today as either absent or lazy or uh, unintelligent. You see, Jesus' original hearers would have been disgusted with the way that we treat our fathers sometimes. And also, they're, they're most likely disgusted with the way that this younger son is treating his father. To ask for an inheritance is basically the same thing as asking, you know what, Dad, I think I would rather have the money than have you. You know, I wish you were dead now so I can have the money, the inheritance, right? He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Jesus seeks to immediately cause his hearers to be against this younger brother. And so you can begin to see right away that this parable is so radically different from the other two parables that we see in this chapter, right? Like in the parable of the lost sheep, we're rooting for this shepherd that is looking for the lost lamb. And in the parable of the lost coin, we're rooting for this unmarried girl who is trying to find her dowry coin. But in this parable, we're not rooting for the younger son, are we? Instead, we're hoping that this spoiled son, we're hoping that this spoiled brat gets what he deserves. He's basically saying, Dad, I don't really love you. I'd rather have the money. Now what the selfish son does is, is he, he, he takes all his stuff together and he leaves and he puts as much distance as he can between himself and the father. And so he takes this journey across into, into a far country. Now, if you're at this point and, and you don't really like the son in the story, you'd really share in the emotions that Jesus' original hearers had. They detested this son. You see, the father's wealth meant nothing to this reckless, selfish son. Right? He got to this far country, spent all his wealth on what? On prostitutes, on parties, on so-called friends. He squandered his property in reckless living. Now, as was typical with some of the ancient views when it came to God's providence, this sinful, self-centered son is supposed to get what he deserves, some kind of consequence, right, for his actions. Not karma, right? 
Karma is a Hindu belief, and, and that takes into account some kind of previous life or a previous existence. No, as Christians, we don't believe in that. No, God's providence is different. In theology, God's providence is simply God's intervention in the universe. And so the Pharisees would have seen, uh, would have expected God intervening in this story by punishing the younger son. So let's continue in our passage. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You see, all his money is gone. All his friends are gone. There's this severe famine that that breaks out, and he's in dire need here. You see, Jesus' original hearers would have been saying, good, you know, God is finally getting back at this selfish son. You see, the son never had to be in need before. He came from a rich family, and he had the servants that supplied him with everything he could have wanted, everything he could have needed. But now he's literally starving to death, and the famine in this country was severe. He had no money, he had no friends, and it got so desperate that he had to work for this farmer. He was a, a well-to-do Jewish man stooping down low to the, the pens of pigs. He was feeling so defeated, so hungry, to the point in which he even wanted to eat from the pods of the pigs. But no one gave him anything. This lost son's only hope was to return to the home of his father. And he learned this the hard way, right? That, that people will use you for all that they can get. That friends run out when, when the money runs out. And his father, however, was a different type of character. Someone that could have been trusted. So as far as this parable goes, and those who are listening to this parable, the story could have ended right here, right? It's, it's just like a moral teaching. It's, you know, Jesus could have said, you know, this is why you should always love and obey your parents, period. This is why you should not be greedy. This is why you should avoid sinners. Young men, this is what, what happens when you uh, have a reckless lifestyle. But this isn't the end of the story, is it? No. And here's when we, this is when we begin to see a shift in the story. You see, verse 17 marks this shift where there's a, a life change, a turn in the life of this selfish son. So what happens in verse 17? It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, when he came to the realization of his situation, the reality of his situation, and he realized that he had disgraced his father and treated him very poorly, he realized what he did. He blew away his inheritance. He's no longer entitled to anything from his father or even to be called his son. He realizes that everything that would have brought him happiness, friends, money, reckless living, the distancing of himself from his father, 
it only served to enslave him. Where at home he served as a son, now he's in this far country and simply a slave. And so in verse 18 is the beginning of his repentance. It seems that he discovered the vanity that life promised and it actually led him closer to death, closer to destruction. He realizes the sin and what he's done and he remembers that his father is generous, that his father is kind and merciful. And so what, what does the son do? He begins rehearsing the speech of repentance as he's heading home, the speech of confession as he's heading home. And so now the story goes back to the father's house. Remember, the, the first time we see the father in the story is back in verse 11 when he gives his son half of his estate. And this would have caused those listening to this story to think that the father is a pushover for him to actually give all that money to his irresponsible son. In their minds, and in our minds maybe, that the father should have refused to give money to the son. He should have probably disowned him. In the mind of the listeners, the father's wisdom was probably questioned at the very beginning of this story. The father knew that his son had been the father knew that knew his son and had been watching him and every day that the younger son was on the farm it seemed more miserable and the relationship between the father and the son was strained even though the son was close by his heart was far from the father and the father knew that if the son would ever be turned he had to suffer first before he came back and so one of those days one of these days the father's prayers were answered. Verse 20 of our passage says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Amen. What a beautiful picture that is. Have you ever considered what the father was doing? Like he was, he was looking a far way off while the son was coming the father just didn't happen to look up at his son. He probably spent most of his evenings, most of his mornings just gazing over the horizon, waiting for his son to return. Not only did the father see his son from far away, but he also felt compassion, it says. You see, Jesus is consistent in his parables. The father is filled with compassion, not anger, not hostility, but compassion. And you're probably wondering, you know, I've been going on for the last 20 minutes, when are we going to get to a point here? And so, for those of you who've been dozing off at your seats, wake up. Here we go. What does this passage reveal about God the Father? Number one, our God is a loving Father. Our God is a loving Father. He is loving, so compassionate towards us when we repent. God the Father loves imperfect people perfectly. This was something that the father in this parable had prayed for and hoped for, but many years had passed and it was almost impossible to think that the son would return. He probably thought, did my son stray too far off that he can't return? And the, the son probably thought, have I passed the point of no return? And so the son prays to his father in repentance. And he's right. He did sin against God. He says he sinned against heaven and against his father. Now, church, do you see God's providence working in here? It's not necessarily a punishment. Do you see God's providence working in the repentance in his heart? 
God did intervene in the story, just not in the way that the Pharisees thought he would intervene. Right? The son recognizes who he is and says, I am no longer worthy to be called a father's, the father's son. That's one true sign of repentance, right? When you acknowledge that, God, I'm not worthy to, to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be called your daughter. And maybe today, church, do you see the reality of your unworthiness before the Lord? Maybe God is calling you for repentance. Jesus told this story, right, to the tax collectors and sinners, and they bowed their heads in submission. They all knew that Jesus was speaking about them, and they were the ones who had strayed far off, and yet they were the ones being welcomed by God. And so this speech, right, that the son was rehearsing, he was, he was going to do it, he was going to say it, but he gets cut off by his father, right? Verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So what does this passage reveal about God the Father? Number two, he has lasting forgiveness. Lasting forgiveness, right? The father is so happy that the son is alive and he does something that elderly men at the time didn't do. He rolls up his robe and he runs down the steps across the field to embrace his son. This is the picture of how our Heavenly Father is to forgive us. When we repent, he feels compassion towards us. The Father has brought the best robe and clothed his son in it. Do you know what the best robe would have been at the time? It would have been the Father's robe. Notice it doesn't say that he cleaned Uh, the son up first no the father embraced him kissed him placed his own robe on his son who had been rolling around in the mud and the dirt the father's tears flowed down his cheek onto the son they they embraced and he kissed him and he says bring quickly the best robe and put it on him he stands there right in the rags of his sin In this state, he doesn't look like he is that father's son. But the father orders the best of the robes to be brought and put on this son. The robe that covers all the stains, all the dirt. The robe would make him look like the father. And so in application, when a sinner comes home, right? When we are saved, we also receive a robe from the heavenly father. Revelation 7, verse 9 to 14 says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, not every person, like we learned last weekend, right? Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and elders and four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
You see, this robe is not just a simple robe. It is a robe of righteousness. Not the righteousness of good works or good deeds or human goodness. No, it is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been imputed to you by faith. Philippians 3.9 says, And be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all the pain and, and all the stains of our past are forever washed away. All the, the dirt and the filth of life and sin forever washed away from us. This is lasting forgiveness, friends. That can only be found in Jesus Christ. That can only be found by God. This forgiveness also involves honor, right? After the robe, what came? It was the ring. The ring was a symbol of sonship. It was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol that he could speak to the Father. The one with the ring has access to all that belonged to the Father. The one with the ring had a position of great privilege. And so church, when we're forgiven by the Father, we have a position to be called his own. When lost sinners repent, right, and they come home to the Father, we are given this great privilege. We are allowed access to all that belongs to our Father. He opens his storehouses of grace and gives everything he has to us. What a privilege we have to those who belong to God, our Father. So the Father not only calls for a robe, he not only calls for a ring, what else does he call for? Shoes. Shoes to be brought and put on the feet of his Son. At that time, slaves were the only ones that were barefoot. And so sons were supposed to wear shoes. But the boy returned just wanting to be a servant, just wanting to be hired as a servant. But the father determined and recognized his position as a son. In the son's eyes, he felt like he didn't deserve to be a slave. He didn't feel like he deserved to be hired as a servant. The father, however, looked at him and said, This is my son. Right? The father alone determines the position of his children. And so what does his father do? He immediately reinstates him to the family, not as a hired boy, not as a servant, but as a son, right? Placing the ring on his finger. The son traveled so far barefoot, but that, it wouldn't stay that way. That was not for the son. So let me remind you, for those of you who are saved by grace, you know, we have this idea that we're supposed to just think of us, ourselves as sinners saved by grace. But let me tell you, when you were saved by grace, you became a child of God. He no longer sees you as a slave or a sinner, but he sees you as his child, someone whom he loves, like he loves his son Jesus. And we are right to humble ourselves in his presence, but let's never forget that if we are saved by grace, that it's the Father who determines our standing in His family, not ourselves. So what I'm saying is this. Don't let the devil, don't let the, your flesh, 
lie to you and tell you that you are not worthy to be a child of God, if you are truly saved and you have been accepted by the Father, He has called you His child. Let's continue in our passage, verse 23. And the Father says, Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You see, this passage doesn't just demonstrate love. It, just do, it doesn't just demonstrate forgiveness. But thirdly, this passage demonstrates God's lavish fellowship with us. God's lavish fellowship. Right after the son had been covered, after he'd been restored to this place in his family, the, the father calls for this fattened calf to be slaughtered. This is no skinny calf. This is a fattened calf. They're going to have brisket. Like, it's going to be a, a, an awesome celebration. And this calf was kept for the sole purpose of great cele celebrations, for entertaining hosts, and for, sorry, for entertaining guests. And the father calls for this celebration because he wants to have fellowship, lavish fellowship with his son. This hadn't been possible before because, you know, in the father's uh, mind, he thought his son was dead. But now the son is home. He's alive. And so the father can have fellowship with his son. You see, before a person is saved, they can't have fellowship with God because they're separated by this great chasm of sin. After grace has worked in the sinner's heart, only then can faith be exercised towards God. The lost sinner can experience sweet fellowship with God himself. And there's nothing Nothing, absolutely nothing in this world like knowing and experiencing the powerful and personal presence of God himself. So take note of this picture, right? The Father is rejoicing over, over sinners that repent. Not only the Father rejoicing, but this parable indicates that he allows those who return home to celebrate with him. Thank God for the, joy, the rejoicing that dwells in the hearts of the redeemed. And so this celebration begins, right? The father invites the servants, the neighbors, the friends of the family, and this great party happens. And, but notice that when the father and the rest of his family are gathered together to celebrate, there's one person missing, right? The, the older brother. He stands far away in the field. You see, the, the story could have ended there with the celebration. You know, everyone lived happily ever to get, uh, you know, happily ever after. And, um, but if that was the case, Jesus wouldn't have started off this parable by saying there were two sons. So let's continue our passage to find out what is happening with this older son. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field... And as he came and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back and safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. You see, the older brother was angry because he's, he's always been there. He had always been there. And the father hadn't given, given him so much a goat. He didn't even give him brisket. And so he may have lived in the father's house and worked in his fields, but he didn't love the father like he should have. He may have been home all this time, but his heart was as if he was in a far-off country. And this is the picture that many of us have today. Many of us who are in the family of God experience today. Many self-professing Christians experience today. We're always around the Father, but we take Him for granted. We don't enjoy His fellowship, right? They refuse to rejoice when someone else comes to know Him. They can eat the fattened calf anytime they want, but they refuse to enjoy the blessings of their father. The fact of the matter is, not all prodigal sons leave home. Many stay right there in the father's house, sulking because they're jealous of the sinners living their lives. What a blessing it would have been if that elder brother just followed his father and embraced his younger brother this would have been a beautiful story. What a difference it would have been in the house of God if those of us who were there would join the Father in looking at those who are not part of the family yet, those who are still yet to be part of the family of God and rejoice with them when they finally do come home, when they finally accept Christ, when they believe in Him. So here's the twist, right, that Jesus is putting on the story. The youngest son, the one who took half of the father's estate, the one who wasted it all, the one who loved money more than his father, is now completely reconciled to the father through repentance. But there is this older son, this older son who is estranged to the father. The older brother had been near the father the whole time. He was busy obeying even the commands of the father, yet his heart was not in line with the father. So while this household rejoiced with the younger brother, the older brother grumbled. The older son serves as an illustration of those of us who are standing within hearing distance of Jesus. And for all of those who read this parable through the centuries to address this issue of self-righteousness that the Pharisees and the scribes had. Isaiah 29:13 says, "Because of this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men." You see the father longed for the son who left and went to a far country, but he also longed for the return of the son who never left home. You see there's another form of eternal death here. Not just reckless living, but working to earn your own righteousness. And the elder son couldn't understand why the father would lavish him with such grace because he treated his father so terribly. He couldn't understand grace and forgiveness. And it seemed harder for the Pharisees to understand this message than the sinners. Because the nearer we think we are to God by birthright or 
by nature, the harder I think it is for us to grasp the truth of the gospel. And so we see this father, right? He leaves the celebration to invite his, the older brother, his oldest son. But the son couldn't do it in that moment. And instead he expresses anger at the father's mercy. Because of the son's hard work, he felt entitled to the father's love. And so there's the danger, church. When we think that we somehow have the right to earn God's love. You have to look at the response of the older son in verse 30. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. How sad is that? This son wouldn't even call his younger brother, brother. Here's what we often overlook in this parable, right? The younger son leaves sin. He comes to his senses, returns home, thinking that he could at least be a servant, but the father embraces him. The older son refuses to be a, to be a son and remains a servant. It's kind of the opposite that happens, right? They kind of switch places. See, the tax collectors and sinners knew that they had not earned God's love, but came to Christ hoping for mercy like the prodigal son who came to himself and remembered the father's mercy. We have, to, we have to remember God doesn't owe us anything. He will do as he pleases. Now, if you look at the beginning of this chapter, it'll give us a clear indicator as to why Jesus shares this parable. Verses 1 to 3, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. See, the reason is right there. It's clear as day. Jesus presented this dilemma to the Pharisees who would have considered that they needed to work and, and, and earn God's graces. But what happens when sinners repent? Are those that are, those that are distant from God, are they destined to hell? Does God not have a right to do what he will and please for his own creation? You bet, 100%. And so it's Jesus who speaks the Father's love, right? He is the one who opened the door to the Father's house. He is the one who invites sinners home. He is the one that clothes us with his righteousness. So often as Christians, we identify with the lost son when our identity is in the risen one. Amen? We identify with the lost son when our identity is in the risen one. Jesus sat down with the moral and social outcasts and ate with them and through repentance and faith brought them home. And so as we look to our hearts tonight, as we look at our own hearts, ask yourself this, do I come to God with an attitude like he owes me something? Or do I come as a lowly, despised sinner that needs his grace, that needs his mercy, saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not worthy to be called your son. 
You see, Jesus, he leaves this open, he leaves the, the ending of this story a little open. There was a time for the self-righteous maybe to repent as well. And there's time for you, church. Let me ask you this. Have you drifted far from God? I know it's been a, a tough time during COVID. Without church community, without seeing each other, have you drifted far from God? I'm going to ask the worship team to come out as I conclude my sermon tonight. You see, the end of this parable is left open, right? Did the, did the brother ever come join the feast, right? Did he reconcile with his younger brother? Did he join with the father? We don't know those things because it's never touched upon in this parable. But Jesus leaves this parable open-ended so that the, maybe the Pharisees and the scribes could fill in the blanks. And so tonight, church, and for those of you who are joining in for the first time, you get to fill the blank in your story. Right? How it ends will determine what you do with the call of the Lord in your heart. Right? Have you found yourself like the younger son? Right? Leave your reckless lifestyle and come back to the Father. Because He will receive you with love, with lasting forgiveness, with lavish fellowship. Right? He will erase your past and restore you to a place of blessing and rejoicing. Or maybe tonight you're like the older brother. You're in the Father's house, but you aren't having a good time. and Maybe it's time for you to come down and enjoy the feast. Maybe it's time for you to come down and renew your vows with the Lord because He's ready to receive you in love, in forgiveness, and in fellowship. So friends, wherever you're at tonight, there's no place like home than the arms of our Father. Right? If you're in the far country and you need to come home or if you're out by the Father's field and you lack the love for your Father, you need to come home too. The door is open. The table is spread. And the Father is waiting to receive you in love for all who want to come. That
when we desire to repent. And so I pray, God, that if there is anyone who's tuning in tonight that needs that heart change, that needs to come to you in repentance and confession, I pray that that would happen. And then I pray for those of us who are in the church, the invisible church, Those of us who call ourselves Christians but are really just living like a Pharisee. I pray, God, that we would come to a right understanding of your grace and how you give it so freely. Would you work in our hearts, Lord? Conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us day by day. Renew us by your spirit so that we can become like you. Lord, we thank you for tonight. May you be glorified in our worship. May you be glorified by our praises. Would you work your way in our hearts tonight? We're praying for life change, God. We're praying for it earnestly to happen. By your grace, we ask these things in Jesus, your most mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.